before I pray, I want to <clears throat> I want to read this one text from Ephesians chapter two. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hear this. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, not just an age, it's going to take ages for Him to show us this beautiful glory that He has revealed, planned for us. I, let's pray. God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has been able to comprehend, perceive, and imagine that which You have in store for us. But those things, these things you have revealed by your Spirit to us. And I pray again you do that for me and for us this morning. I ask God that you would help me and you would help your church and you would help everyone in this room to long for the glory that will be revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, his name I pray, amen. How many of you have a bucket list? I see a few hands. And maybe you didn't think to answer, but you do have in your mind a bucket list. What I mean by a bucket list is some type of list, whether that means literally written down or in your head that you would say, I want to do before I die. I want to go and I want to hike down the Grand Canyon and I want to hike back up the Grand Canyon. You say, that's not my bucket list. That would be Lee Monday's bucket list. Or you'd say, I want to I want to jump out of a plane in a parachute. Or I want to I want to do and you could list a whole bunch of things. For some of you it might be on your bucket list is to get married. Or it's to have children, or it's to do this or do that. I, I want to challenge you just towards something, even though all of those things are are natural because what they do is they bring us towards this life that we live in and we look and say, I long for some things. I have tasted a little bit of this. And in fact, anything that's on our bucket list is because we have categories already and we want to go after something even in a deeper way. We say, I want to go to Europe because I've seen pictures of Europe. I want to go to Hawaii because I've seen pictures or I've been to this beach and I've heard about this beach and I want to go there. One author writes, the bucket list mentality reveals an impoverished view of redemption. What I mean by this is when we have a bucket list mentality that I have to, I have to, I have to, and this is so focused, it can often lead to, reveals a, a very small and weak view of the redemption that's coming. Even Christians end up thinking, if I can't live my dreams now, I never will. You only go around once. But if you know Jesus, you go around twice. And the second time lasts forever. 
It's called eternal life and will be lived in a redeemed universe with Jesus Christ. We do not pass our peaks in this life. Hallelujah. We do not pass the summits of our pleasures and joys in this life. This is but a shadow. This is but a a faint tracing sketch. And the reality is coming. In the next few minutes, I pray that I want to preach on heaven. And, And I cannot do it justice, but God's Spirit can do it justice. God's Word reveals us two things. And I pray that we would come away as a people longing for heaven in the way God wants us to long for heaven. And that longing for heaven would lead us to a type of living for heaven and living to God and living to others in a very liberated way. If you're, from, if you're, if you're not from this church, you must know that this series, these last three weeks, the best is yet to come, comes from a deep and painful and moving reality that has impacted the life of this church. Over a month ago, one of our dear families, the Quasaranos, husband and wife, four children, went to be with Jesus in a moment. All of them were taken from us. And though none of us would choose to have that happen, and we do not, we would long for them to be with us, they don't long to be here with us now, because God has chosen to take them and they're with Him. But that op- that that vivid and painful reality reminds us and brings to us a gift at Faith Baptist Church is to focus our minds freshly on the things of eternity. Death can become a smelling salt to arouse us out of our unconsciousness that we live so much for earthly things and we wake up and we say, what are we living for? What matters a few weeks ago, I read to you this phrase, and I, and I want to revisit it. There is few people that have helped me get a picture of heaven more besides the Bible, and I think it's because he clinged to the Bible, he, he sought hard the Bible, and then sought hard to take that and try to understand it and communicate it in helpful ways through story and through writing and through sermon. Few people have helped me understand this concept of heaven like the author C.S. Lewis. And in his beautiful story of Narnia, as I read to you a couple weeks ago, I want you to ponder this because I want to talk about heaven this morning. I want to talk about the new heavens and new earth is what I'm going to call it. Or I'm going to talk to you about, about eternity and what it might be like for us. And this is how he describes it at the end of the last battle. He said, The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and he means the stories of Narnia. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. There's meaning into that, the real story. All their life in this world, All your life in this world, all your adventures, all your pains, all your joys, all the good and the bad, they are but the cover and title page, 
And now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. There are several passages of Scripture. There are passages all over Scripture that talk about what God promises to His saints. And at times it keeps us guessing and wondering and longing. And sometimes we can so get caught up with the things of this world that we just think, I'm not sure if I want heaven. I just love this. Romans 8 says that I can... Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18... I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for Who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. This is a little bit of the hope. Revelation 21, verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice with the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is sitting on the the throne, that's Jesus, behold, I am making all things new, he said. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without The best is yet to come. This morning, the last two weeks, we looked at what happens when we die, what happens to our body someday. Now I want to talk to you where we're going to go someday. I want to talk to you about the believer in heaven. We have have learned from Scripture that for those that are in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and have been saved, They, when they die, they instantly are in the presence of Jesus Christ in a place called heaven, but they are without their body. Their body goes into the grave, or their body is burned up. Their body is gone on this earth. It stays here. Their souls are with Jesus, and they are in joy and blessing. 
But that is not the, pri- the final blessing. They are waiting and longing for something greater. And as we saw last week, God has a plan that He will raise our bodies up. And our bodies will be renewed and they will be physical bodies. They will be imperishable. They will never corrupt. They will be glorious. They will be beautiful. They will have resemblance from your old body on this earth. But only like a kernel would have a small dead kernel compared to a live fruit that comes forth. It will be it'll be glorious and it will be of the Holy Spirit and it will be without any blemish. It will provide a type of pleasure and joy that we could never, ever imagine on earth. And I want to imagine a little bit of it this morning. But the Bible says that we're going to live in a world. Both this passage, Revelation chapter 21, 2 Peter chapter 3 says that God is going to do something. And He tells us where we're going to live and what in some ways, what we're going to do, and I want us to think about it, because God intends for us to take that knowledge and help us today in the troubles that we have. To take it this Monday morning when we wake up, that God would use a knowledge and a view of heaven to transform the way we live right now. So I want to ask three questions this morning. What is our, where is our eternal home? What is our eternal home is the first question. What is the eternal home of the believer? Secondly, what is what will this home be like? And thirdly, what difference should this make in our lives? So what is the eternal home of the believer? This is what, for the believer, and, and I, I, I want to I I keep you thinking this way, for the believer. Because some of you in this room may not be a true believer. You may have never truly been saved. And when I say believer, we're going to talk, I'm going to, on Easter Sunday, bring this out more, where you have been born again, and it, as a result, you believe in a new way, and you trust Jesus, and you turn from your sins, and He is your God, and He has saved you, and His Spirit is in you. For the believer, this is your eternal home. We will live eternally with God in the new heavens and a new earth. That is our home. That will be our home. Someday God has intended not for us to be spiritless or spirit, just a spirit without a body with Jesus in this place. But right now, Jesus is with God in a place called heaven. But God has a plan and God has revealed that someday at the end of the age when Christ is going to return, he's going to do something when it's all said and done, all millennials, millenniums are done. All of those things are done. God is going to come and bring eternity. And what He's going to do is He's going to take this earth, the heavens that we have around us, and He is going to He is going to do something. Whether He's going to just completely remove it and remake it, or He's going to re- completely restore it, He is going to do something. And it's called the new heavens and the new earth. But he, it is intended for us to not just go. There's no heavens and there's no earth. It's just going to be up in the clouds, and we're going to have a harp, and there might be a crown, and it might get real boring. Because it is very easy for us to think that way. And as we get going, we start to think, what is this place like? Which is the second question I'm going to ask before we get there. What is this heaven? God has placed, God has a heaven for us. The place, what is heaven? During this age, the place, heaven is the place where God dwells frequently called heaven, 
in Scripture. It is the place where God dwells in His, where His presence is known to bless in a certain way. Heaven is a place where God most fully makes His presence known to bless. And right now it's in heaven, and Jesus is at the Father's right hand, and all authority has been given to Jesus. And King Jesus right now has sent His Spirit to every believer, and his, whenever this word is preached, the gospel is preached, His Spirit actually works and brings life into our lives. And so we believe that Jesus is at work, but someday God is going to take and He's going to bring heaven, He's going to recreate the heavens and earth, and He's going to bring heaven to earth. Heaven is a place, it's not just a state of mind. And what God plans to do, according to Romans 8, just like I said last week, God's going to take our body and He's going to say, bodies come forth and all believers will come raised forth with glorious new bodies like Jesus Christ. It is not known what we will be, but when we see Him, we'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is, 1 John 3 says. But someday we are going to be glorified with our bodies that will be resurrected. The same thing is going to be true of this earth and this world. God is going to, to not, is not going to just send us into this ghostly, like spirit-like existence forever. But He's going to take this world and all in it, all in it, and He's going to renew it. He's going to recreate it. called the redemption, Re- to redeem something, according to, we see that redemption happening in Romans 8 that I read, where it says that creation is longing eagerly for rede- the revealing of the sons of God. It's been subjected to futility and decay and problems, and someday God is going to renew it and redeem it. And to redeem something is to buy it back, it's to restore it, it's to bring it to where it was really meant to. God created this world glorious and good. And sin came in the world. And God is saying, not going to say, okay, sin and devil, you won. You took all the good and joy out of this entire world. It's gone. No, He's going to say, you will never have the last word. I'm going to restore your, the bodies of all believers. And I'm going to make them like Jesus Christ. And I'm going to restore this earth. And I'm going to make it glorious. Second question I want to ask is, what will this new heavens, what is this heaven, new heavens and new earth be like? What will our eternal home be like? I want to ask you to truly engage with me in this thought, because I, I, I think too often our minds, especially the older we get, it's very easy for there to be a disconnect. I know as little kids, it's easy for little kids to take what their parents say. It's going to be great. It couldn't be any better. You couldn't imagine how great heaven will be. And they, you start to talk to them about it, and there's imagery of, and people throughout the centuries have had imageries of there's, there's crowns, or there's, there's going to be harps in heaven, and they're going to be on clouds, and they start to think about that and go, oh, that'd be kind of neat. But the older we get, it's very easy for us to think about heaven and go, I really, even though I don't want the pain, there's so much here that I love. I love the relationship with this spouse. Or I love the relationship. I love to be able to work hard and see something get accomplished. I love, I love how I feel when I come home and I visit home after being gone a long time. I love, I love and we can think of all these things. For those that are married or going to be married, we think in terms of, 
well, man, I'm kind of confused because Jesus told a man in Matthew chapter 22 that there is not marriage or giving in marriage, but we will be like the angels. And if so, there's not marriage, there's not sex, there's not this. And we start to think of negatives of what heaven will be without. And then we start to ask, okay, does that mean that in heaven I won't have a special relationship with my spouse? Does that mean in heaven I won't have this with my family? I, what, what is it going to be, Pastor Daniel? What does the Bible say? But what the Bible does say is in passages like Ephesians chapter 2, that in the coming ages, in the coming ages, God is going to show His immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the coming ages, God is going to someday, He's going to, he's going to take us in and he's, when, he, when He resurrects our bodies, He's going to rebuild the whole entire universe. And He's going to take His presence, and He's going to put His presence... He's not taking us to His presence. He is taking His presence to us on this earth that He made, and He's on this new creation of human beings that have believed in His name, have been raised from the dead, been given glorious bodies, have been given bodies that were full of strength and vigor and perfection and beauty and holiness, just like Jesus. These are bodies that were broken and weak and corruptible and hurting and sinful and corrupt in all ways. He's going he's to take all of them and the one thing that they have in common is that God put His grace in their lives and they received Jesus. And God is going to raise them from the dead and He's going to someday put us in this new heavens and new earth that we're going to enjoy and He's going to show us in the coming riches, the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness. The new creation will be a place of beauty and abundance and joy in the presence of God. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of discussion surrounding this. But heaven will be a place where God's presence will be, where God's presence will be, and He will bring us to a physical place, a physical earth, enjoying physical pleasures in physical things. We will worship God. We will serve God. We will live forever with God. There are a lot of things that we need to ponder. Will there be physical pleasure? I've said that there will be. We say there is, but we say, well, how can that be, Pastor Daniel? Because Jesus said there won't be marriage and giving in marriage. Will we really eat? Well, the Bible says that there will be a great supper or meal. We will eat the greatest of foods and the greatest of wines. We will enjoy the glory like nothing this earth can compare to. I, one of the most helpful ways for me to think about heaven is to think in terms of that we will be in the presence of God where there are pleasures evermore and it will be unending. It will not be boring. It will be ever-renewing. I like what Sam Storm says, and he says this, with the unending and ever-increasing display will come in heaven, an unending and ever-increasing discovery on our part of more of the depths and the grace 
greatness of God's grace, we will learn and grasp and comprehend more of the height and depth and width and breadth of His saving love. We will never, we will see ever new, always fresh displays and manifestations of God's kindness. The knowledge we gain when we enter heaven will forever grow deep and deep and expand and intensify and multiply. Imagine, in this, in this world, we have suffering and pain. And just imagine that you were to say that, okay, in this earth, I have suffered a lot. Now, heaven is going to make up for all of my suffering and say, from all my suffering, say you, you had this mindset, well, it's going to take not five years to make up for the suffering, five years of glory in heaven to make up for all the suffering that I have experienced on this earth. Let's just say you're in Eeyore and you say it's not going to take five years, it's going to take 500 years. After 500 years of glory and bliss in heaven, we will just be beginning. We will just be beginning the state of understanding God's ways and God's glory and God's beauty. I've had a hard time understanding how heaven could be so great. And one of the most helpful ways for me is to see and to think that this world and all that's in it, all, all the good things that are in it that I enjoy, because God, there are certain things that I do enjoy, that we have enjoyed, that people are prone to want to live, not die. Those are but shadows. Those are but drawings. Those are but little signs that point us to something bigger and greater. So that when I get to heaven, if any of those things are taken away, they'll only be taken away so that we can have the real thing. The real thing that your hearts truly long for will be in heaven. God has given us relationships to long for in here so that we may long for an eternal relationship in heaven with God and with His people. He's given us physical pleasures of food and drink and sex. He's given us physical pleasures of work and of different accomplishments of things. And He's given that to us so that someday we will enjoy the great, fulfilled, un, it will be unpolluted in any type of way. Maybe, maybe this illustration is helpful as we think about heaven. Maybe some of you have asked the question about heaven and want to understand how can, if heaven is going to be lacking certain things, marriage, which a lot of people have a hang up and they say, well, if that's the case, how can heaven be better? If, if heaven doesn't seem better, heaven seems like it's, C.S. Lewis said it this way, imagine, imagine this story. Let's construct a fable. Let us picture a woman who was thrown into a deep dungeon. There she bears and rears a son. He grows up and sees nothing but the dungeon walls, the straw on the floor, and a little patch of sky up through the grating, which is too high for anything to be seen except for sky. Now, this unfortunate woman was an artist. And before she came into this dungeon... She brought her drawing book and a box of pencils. 
And she never lost hope of deliverance. She is constantly teaching her son about that outer world which he has never seen. She does it largely by drawing by drawing him pictures. She, with her pencil, she attempts to show him what a field might look like and rivers will look like and mountains and cities and waves on an ocean. He's a good boy. And he does his best to believe her when she tells him that the outer world outside that dungeon is far more interesting and glorious than anything in the dungeon, and especially anything on her drawings. At times, he succeeds, and on the whole, he gets on tolerably well until they have a discussion, and it dawns on her and him, and he says, You mean, Mom, if we ever get out of here, all those things, all those rivers, all those cities, they won't have lead or drawing marks on them? And she goes, no, son. In fact, we'll take the, the pencil marks, the drawing, and the leads. They're all but a picture. When you get out there, it'll be greater than that, but there won't be any lead on the, on the pictures, on the things that you see. They won't be needed anymore. And he can't imagine. He say, I can't imagine a river without lead. I can't imagine a beautiful city. I couldn't imagine an ocean I couldn't imagine this without the beautiful drawings of a pencil. How could that be glorious out there? And she says, but oh, there is. Do you see the pencil marks are but to be a drawing, a shadow, just pointing you to something that's so real and so glorious. So all the things on this earth, all the things that we enjoy are but sketchings of something that's going to be glorious and great in the world to come, in the new heavens and new earth. All the things of beauty of marriage and all the beautiful things about relationships or of pleasures in this earth are but going to be shadow and the real thing, the thing that our hearts long for. We must believe by faith, but they will come. There is... In, in this heaven, we find what the scriptures say that we will and we won't have. Nothing will be polluted. Nothing will be poor or putrid. Nothing dark or dismal. Nothing dismay, dismaying or degrading. Nothing blameworthy or blemishing or blasphemous or blighting. Nothing will be sad or bad or mad. Nothing harsh, impatient, ungrateful or unworthy. We will constantly be more amazed with God more in love with God, and thus ever more relishing His presence and our relationship with Him. Our experience of God will never, ever reach its consummation. Some people have a view of heaven that we'll get to heaven, boom, we'll be perfect, we'll have all knowledge, and then we sit there and go, now what? But I want to challenge you to think about heaven in this way. If God, if Paul said in Ephesians 2, that in the coming ages, He will show us. I think He means that it will take ages and ages and ages to even start to scratch the surface to show us His beauty, His riches, His love. It will not be boredom. Each chapter, each day, each week, each year will be a chapter of more goodness, of more pleasure, of more enjoyment, 
of, and, and anything in this earth will be like drawings compared to the reality that will come. It will be glorious. It will be full of glory and honor. Now, what, what difference should this make? This, this should make a difference in our lives in 2016 in Linden, Michigan. Folk, Paul said that we are, if we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. He says, he says the problem is, don't be like those who their, where their minds are set on earthly things. Faith Baptist Church. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness which with our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations to your fathers and mothers, husbands and wives or children are, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. And so I want to give you a few suggestions or a few things in which setting our minds on heaven and on God and what God has for us, while that benefits us today and now. First of all, this, these truths about heaven, and we are to get into this word, and we are to discover them, and we are to go after them, and we are to set our minds on them, and we are to think on them often, and we, we are to ask God to help us perceive these things, and we are to teach them to our children. Number one, it helps us from excessive dependence on earthly riches and possessions. This should help us understand that the things of this earth and our dependence on them is destructive. Earthly riches and possessions are going to be gone in a second. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, and by the way, if we're Americans, almost all of us are rich compared to the history of the world and all over the world. Paul says, As for the rich, charge them not to be proud or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that you may take hold of what is life. As we ponder heaven, the things that you collect should become less important to you. Yeah, I have that. But it's, it's not that important. I'm not to be dependent on that possession. That possession is something to me enjoy and to help others with. But it's just, it's just a fleeting thing. And if I lose it, I lose it. I don't care. This, I, I'm not going to live my life collecting these things because the real thing is coming. And I want to collect the real thing in the future. That's the second thing is pondering heaven helps us deal with the injustices that we experience in the world. If you read the news, if you watch the news, if you read the blogs or the Twitter feeds, you could be so quickly discouraged. Apart from our minds and hearts fixing on what God is going to do, someday we can struggle with discouragement and being overwhelmed by what we read in the current events. 
if we take the short view of things, we can always be frustrated and confused and angry, but someday God is going to make all things right. He's going to make all things new. He is going to bring justice to the oppressed. All those things that we say are not fair, are not right, are wrong. God is going to remove all injustices, and He's going to make all things right, and our mindset on above helps us with that. Third reason that this should make a difference is it should help us. This is very similar to this one. It should help us with patience and perseverance and suffering. I know that some of you in this room have faced suffering every day, chronic pain. You, you are, you, it could be the pain of a lost loved one that just, it just does not seem to go away. It just, it just renewed day by day. And, or it might be the physical pain from things that are happening in your back or your neck or your nerves, and you're feeling it every day. Paul says, we don't lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is producing an eternal way of glory. The pain of now will bring greater pleasure later. The, the pain of now that is received by faith and trusting in God, God will turn that for our good in eternity. Paul says it is preparing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It'll make what we have right now so light we'll be thankful for it. We will look back and we will not grieve or groan over what we had in the past, but we will only rejoice. You see, a pondering heaven... And knowing that we will live with God forever in this new heaven and earth should help motivate us to live for the future world. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven or treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You or I have never, ever seen a U-Haul being pulled behind a hearse. You can't take it with you. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon and talking about heaven, said one day that he was, he tells of a story of a certain minister who was collecting money for a chapel. He was doing some fundraising, and he would go to different Christians' houses, and he would talk to them about what was going on and ask them for a donation for this new chapel and church. It was for the ministry of the gospel. And he called upon a rich merchant who generously gave him 50 pounds. He was very thankful for that. And as the good man was going out, the minister was going out with sparkling eye, the, at the generosity of this merchant, this merchant, this businessman, received a letter. And he opened it right there and he said, stop a minute. I find by this letter I've lost this morning a ship worth 6,000 pounds. Now, the poor minister trembled in his shoes, for he thought that the next word would be, let me have the 50 back. I need it. Instead of it, instead of it, it was, let me have the check back a moment. And then taking out his pen, he wrote him a check for 500 pounds, saying, since my money is going so fast, it is well, he said, to make sure some of it. So I will put some of it in God's bank. 
The man you do not doubt went this way astonished at such a way of dealing as this, but indeed that is just what a man should do who feels he is an alien here and his treasure is beyond the sky. He said, I I better give more because I'm going to lose all. It's just a reminder. I'm going to lose everything here. And I want, there is, there is an amazing way. This is, this is the picture. There is something about how we live now in faith to God and how we trust in Jesus and how we obey that it's, it's laying up treasures for the time to come. Any investor would say, why would you spend something that is going to bring you very little profit now if you can just hold on and it's going to make a ton of profit later on and you're going to enjoy it for a long time with great rewards? You say, do it that way. There is a way in which God wants us in this, this first round, this world, for us to do as much as possible by faith. And it's not earning heaven. It's not buying our way to heaven. But there is a, I believe that there is a future world that I am going to live with my money. I'm going to live with my time. I'm going to live with my attention and my mindset on the eternal so that I, I will have no regrets. So that when I go there, I'll go, I invested and I lived for that world. I am but a pilgrim now. My citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. I'm a pilgrim here. I'm a traveler. I'm an alien. I am an immigrant. I'm someone that has come and I'm not in my homeland. I'm going to go back. My citizenship is in heaven. In fact, God's going to bring heaven here someday. You know, all of this, and I've done a pitiful job of it, but God's Word does a great job of it, helps us to love and trust God, the giver of this inheritance. And if there's anything that should make us do, this should make us say, what will make heaven glorious is not all these things. It will be all these things and God. And God at the center of it. God is the sun. God is the light. Our enjoyment of God in everything. And if there is no enjoyment of God now, why would we think there's going to be enjoyment of heaven later? What heaven should, uh, right mindset on heaven should help us love this giver, this God, and long to know this God more. Because it says that in His presence are pleasures evermore. It is in knowing this God and knowing what He has done and, and longing for Him and Him alone. God has called us to that. Revelation chapter 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And all the things were being passed away. And I saw in the throne Jesus saying, I have made all things new. And he says, write down this. These are the words. These are faithful and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water the life without payment. That is God's offer to us. God offers us who are thirsty for God, to have God and all of this future. God says, you're thirsty. You long for something more. You go after things and you think that they're it, but they're not it. You are meant for something greater. You are meant for me, God says. You long for relationships and you go after relationships, but those relationships do not satisfy. You are not meant 
for those relationships mainly. You're meant, those are meant to be pictures to show you that you need me. And you long for money because money brings security. Money brings these type of things. Money brings pleasures and things that can come into your life. Money can bring power. You wanted all of those things. God says, those won't satisfy you. They are meant to point to, to the great security. The great security that's found in me and my presence. They're found, they're found by being a child of God who you will have wealth forever with me and me alone. Jesus says to those who are thirsty or longing, who are empty and need something, he says, you come to me, I will give from the spring of the water of life, and I'll do it without payment. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the vital linchpin to all of this. Because the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in order to remove the curse of sin. We're going to see this on Thursday night, to remove the curse of sin and destroy the works of the devil so that we could actually not be afraid of death, but look death in the face and not fear it, but look to the great giver of life. The gospel is that Jesus Christ became absolutely destitute and parched. He went to the cross and took on all hunger and all thirst. He went to the cross and took all our affliction, all of our sufferings and all of our sorrows upon us so that we could come to him and without payment receive by grace his mercy. Heaven is glorious, but it's not for you if you don't have Jesus. Heaven is glorious, and it will, it, it will it increase in splendor. There will be no jealousy or envy. It will be glorious and all for all those who trust in Him, but it is not for those that turn and do not accept Jesus. And so, for those that have received Jesus already, thank Him for that. Treasure Him more and long for what He has for you and invest for the future now. For those of you that are in this room and you've heard Jesus about Jesus maybe all of your life, but you do not feel assurance that this reward is yours, you can. You can but come to Him and say, I need you. As a thirsting man says, I don't have what I need. I need you to give me drink. I need you to give me from the spring of the water of life. I can't pay for it. Jesus, you paid for it. I received your. I received now your gift of salvation. I realize I can't pay for any of it. I turn from my sin and I accept your free gift. You do that. I promise you. God promises you that gift is yours. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would you would give help and mercy to see these things in a greater way. I pray that you would help us to long for heaven and see that the things of earth will go dim in the light of your glory and grace. I pray, God, that you would help us to live as saints that know that the best is yet to come and that, yes, we can have bucket lists, but they don't mean a lot compared to what we're, what's coming. And I pray that that would... Help us to be free to be generous and be free to love one another and free not to save everything up for some other time. 
God, I pray that you would help us now to believe this, these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.